is there to greet you. I love to hear you sing so much. And one thing I can't wait to do when we are in the new heaven and the new earth, one is to sing with you there. But then also, I think there's going to be moments I'll just choose to be quiet and listen. Um, You're a beautiful choir, and I'm grateful to get to worship with you. If you have a Bible with you this morning, would you open up to the book of Psalms? And we're going to be in Psalm 126 this morning. And uh, if you're new with us, or maybe you're new to the Bible, I want to encourage you to use, if you don't have a Bible with you, grab one of those black ones out of the pew rack in front of you. And I'll give you an easy shortcut to find Psalm 126. It's on page 544 in your pew Bible. And so I would love for you to open it up and to read along with us and study with us. Keep it open the whole time because we'll refer back to it uh, multiple times. Today is our last Sunday in the Psalms. um, And next Sunday, we're going to pick back up our study of the book of Romans. We'll be in Romans chapter 12. And so uh, at our exits downstairs, you'll find our sermon study guides are out. And I want to encourage you to grab one of these on your way out this morning. Uh, Again, if you're new with us, um, we provide a sermon study guide for you um, each week. It deals with the sermon to come or the passage uh, to come. And so take this home with you. uh, Do some reading in uh, Romans 12. Maybe work through some of the study questions. And then you come in here next Sunday ready to rock and roll. And uh, it'll be fantastic. Um, our study in the Psalms has been really fruitful time together. It's been really beneficial for me anyways. And uh, we've been studying a book within the book. Uh, Psalm chapter 120 through 134, these are called the Psalms of Ascent. And the reason we think they're called Psalms of Ascent is we think these are the songs that ancient Israel sang on their pilgrimage to the holy city. Three times a year, uh, they were uh, commanded by God to make the journey to Jerusalem, to the house of the Lord. And so these songs were sort of like the mixtape they listened to on their way to the holy city. Uh, And so I I want you to think with me. Imagine uh, what kind of people do you assume might have been in those crowds of pilgrims flooding into Jerusalem to observe those holy days. What type of people are coming and singing? And I think if we go through the Psalms that we've already studied, we might get an idea of what that crowd of people was like. So for example, from Psalm 120, what kind of person would sing this line? In my distress, I called to the Lord. Well, there were troubled people in the crowd on their way to meet with God. What about from Psalm 121? What kind of person would sing, where will my help come from? I think a frightened person might be in the crowd. From Psalm 122, what kind of person would sing, I rejoiced? Well, a praising person was in the crowd on their way to meet with the Lord. What about from Psalm 123? What kind of person would sing, show us favor, Lord? Well, certainly an afflicted person was in the crowd on this day. From Psalm 124, what kind of person would sing, blessed be the Lord, a delivered person sang that line with great joy. From Psalm 125, what kind of person would sing, the scepter of the wicked will not remain. An oppressed person was in that choir of singers. In the passage we're going to study today, Psalm 126, what kind of person would sing this line, 
Restore our fortunes, Lord. Psalm 126 is a song about restoration, specifically about spiritual restoration. And so who sang Psalm 126? Well, listen, all of these songs of ascent are for everybody. They are corporate songs. There's no solo songs among those 15. So in a sense, every song of ascent is for every worshiper. However, there are some songs that we might individually relate to more than others depending on what we're experiencing in our lives. And so in that sense, the crowd of people approaching the house of the Lord is made up of people in a wide variety of spiritual conditions. And isn't that also true? Every time we get together in this place, we come into the house of the Lord. We make our pilgrimage every Sunday to this place, and we come in here troubled or afraid or praising or afflicted or delivered or oppressed or in need of restoration. So I wonder if you are the one that's in need of restoration today. How would you know? Some diagnostic questions might help. Have you grown distant from the Lord? Is your relationship with Him fractured? Does sin have the upper hand in your life? Do you find yourself profoundly lacking joy? Have you been sorrowful to the point that you've grown indifferent to the Lord? Has your spiritual life become performative? There's any number of diagnostic questions we might ask. I think we know when we are in that place where we need restoration and renewal. Now, I find it fascinating and hopeful that one of the songs that God's people sang on their way to the holy city was a song seeking restoration. It's not a song that tells broken people, stay home, get fixed, get your mind right, and then come and meet with the Lord. It's a, it's a song for broken people to come limping into the house of the Lord and to meet with God and to find what they need in Him. And so if that's you, let me just tell you, I, I, the first thing I want you to, to hear from me this morning is how proud I am of you that you would be here today knowing the state of your heart and your walk with the Lord and the struggles you're dealing with and the challenges you're facing but that you would still come here. That doesn't tell me you're a hypocrite and you're just trying to play the part. That tells me that you are actually really serious about your own spiritual restoration. It tells me that you also know where your restoration will come from. You're not going to fix it in the sadness of someplace else, but here in the Lord, in the house of the Lord, there's hope. And so thank you for your courage and for your perseverance to show up here again and to cry out to God. And I have confidence that this morning you'll get an answer from him from Psalm 126. Psalm 126 doesn't just sing about restoration in the abstract, but rather it shows us the work of God in bringing us to this place of spiritual renewal. Psalm 126 doesn't tell you, here's what, you've you got to fix this, do this, do this, do this. It's not a to-do list for weary pilgrims. Rather, it, it's a call to rest in the action of God on your behalf. And so my goal today is to show you the way to spiritual restoration in the hopes that you will rest in the work that God is doing for you. 
Psalm 126 shows us three ways God works in our restoration. So I want you to follow along with me as I read Psalm 126. It says this, a song of ascents. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Our mouths were filled with laughter then, our tongues with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord had done great things for us. We were joyful. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like water courses in the Negev. Those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. Though one goes along weeping, carrying the bag of seed, he will surely come back with shouts of joy, carrying his sheaves. It's a song about restoration, and it shows us the work of God in bringing renewal to our lives. Let me show you three ways God works in our spiritual restoration. And the first is this. If you're taking notes, God is faithful when we are hurting. What we have to know when we are at the end of ourselves, we're spiritually just in a desert and we're broken, God is faithful when we are hurting. So this song begins with a memory. It's a wonderful memory of a happy time. Look at verse 1. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. I mean, this is a glad memory that the singers are bringing to uh, the forefront. But there's some disagreement among different Bible translators as to whether or not this psalm is speaking about a specific moment in Israel's history. If you have a different translation of the Bible than what I read from this morning, you may have different words, especially in verse 1. And so uh, let me show you the difference just so we can get our minds in the right spot on this passage. Let me show you a difference between a couple of translations. So um, the translation I've read from in our Pew Bibles is called the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. And it reads this way. It says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. And you can see uh, the underlined uh, phrase. That's the, that's the word that's in debate among Bible translators. So, uh, when the Lord restored the fortunes, that's the key word, the fortunes. Uh, another translation, the New Living Translation, one that I love, thinks a great translation of the Bible, uh, translates it different. It says, when the Lord brought back his exiles. So, did the Lord restore fortunes or did the Lord restore exiles? If you have a New Living Translation or if you got a King James Bible this morning, it says exiles in verses 1 and 4. Uh, if you have a CSB or you have an ESV, uh, it says fortunes in verses 1 and 4. Uh, and so, what's the right answer? Well, there's no consensus uh, among Bible scholars as to which one is the correct one or which one needs to be used. Uh, and that's okay, because even though there's not agreement on translation, we're not lost in understanding the message. In this case, both options are totally viable. Verse 1 can describe the time the Lord brought His people out of exile and brought them back to Jerusalem. There were songs written after that occurred. Post-exilic songs exist in the book of Psalms, and this could be one of those, that after exile, people remembered what the Lord had done for them. But also, this word can just mean the word fortune instead of exiles, so it could refer more generically to any time the Lord came to the aid of His stricken people. And so what that means for us then is, at the very least, what God did for Israel in captivity, He still does for His afflicted people today. 
Whichever translation sits in your hands this morning, we have the same meaning. The God who saved before is the God who saves still. And the song goes on to describe the overwhelming gladness that came from those who experienced the goodness of God, experienced this restoration from Him. In verse 1, we were like those who dream. Right? That, that memory of that time was so sweet. It was like a dream come true. In verse 2, our mouths were filled with laughter, tongues with shouts of joy. Uh, there's no tears, no sadness, no complaints, no laments. Everyone expressed the same joy, mouths full of laughter, tongues full of joy. Also in verse 2, it says, The nations said the Lord has done great things for them. So, Those who are outside the believing community, they saw the restoration of Israel. They saw the renewal that was happening among God's people. And the nations outside, non-believing peoples, knew enough to credit Israel's God. They didn't just say, oh man, they've, they've really found some good luck. Karma has turned their way. They credited Israel's God. Yahweh is the source of this great reversal for them. And then in verse 3, what the nation said about Israel is what Israel said about herself, right? The uh, the nation said the Lord has done great things for them. Verse 3, Israel agreed. The Lord had done great things for us. We were joyful. So this description of overwhelming joy is really amazing. But the last line of verse 3 brings it all to a screeching halt. We were joyful. It's past tense. This joy was not the present tense experience of the singers. This was a memory of a better time. I think there's two general ways that we remember happy times. One is remembering from a place of gladness. Uh, I have a couple of guests here with me this morning, two of my dearest friends on this planet. We're we're retelling all the old stories, and we tell those stories from a place of gladness. It makes us happy to remember those things. When Mike and Catherine shared their testimonies just a moment ago, they shared those memories from a place of gladness, and we rejoiced in that. That's one way of remembering. There's another general way of remembering, and that's from a place of sadness. Uh, It's a remembering that is a lament. It's a longing for someone or something that's lost. And that's what Psalm 126 is. It's a memory from sadness. This is not a song of praise. This is a song of lament. It's sung from a place of lost. Joy is lost. Laughter is lost. Life is no longer like a dream, but it's a nightmare. The nations no longer praise Yahweh. They mock him and his people. So Psalm 126 is not a glad remembering of the good old days. It's a mournful cry for the Lord to return that which is lost. The memory of what was intensifies the misery of what is. So for people of faith, our spiritual restoration begins with the painful confrontation of our current situation. This song begins with a memory that is a lament, it's a sadness, and and that's where our restoration begins as well. If you and I are going to know the good restoration of God, we have to sit with our pain first. And to some people, that's a no-brainer. They might think, well, my pain's always in front of me. My misery's always here. I don't have to work hard. to be. I've been living in this, in this sadness for a long time. But that's not the experience of everyone. 
So many people set aside pain and hurt and disappointment and shame. Survival may require us to push aside emotion, painful emotions from our, from our situation. It's common for hurting people to stop grief short for any number of reasons. Perhaps the emotions are too intense for us, or perhaps we might feel like, hey, I just don't have time to deal with these heart matters. Perhaps we consider it selfish to, to focus on ourselves in that way, or maybe we're just too emotionally immature to really deal with the pain in our lives. A common fault in all of these scenarios is the presence of pride that refuses to admit our own brokenness and our need for the Lord to rescue us. So when we refuse to confront our pain, when we fail to sit in the hurt of our current situation, we are delaying the restoration that the Lord has for us. If we were in this group of pilgrims traveling to the house of the Lord, it would be as if we said, you guys go ahead, I'm going to stay right here and hurt. There's healing ahead, there's restoration, there's lifting, there's cleansing, there's forgiveness ahead with the Lord. But so many times we choose to remain where we are in our sadness, in our brokenness, in our sin and shame. But if we're going to find that healing and that restoration, we have to confront the reality of our situation and the intensity of our need. And why does it have to be that way? Why, why can't I just skip that hard part and just go straight to the glory of forgiveness and renewal? I think it's that way because Good Friday comes before Resurrection Sunday. Uh, the cross comes before the empty tomb. Humiliation comes before glory. Death comes before resurrection. As it was for our Savior, so it is for us. We must die to ourselves. And in this, we find the Lord's kind hand raising us again. Remembering our past joy and confronting our difficulties is not just an exercise in lament, though. It's, it's also fuel for our hope. Israel can face every possible foe in her path because they remember that God delivered them from the Egyptian army at the Red Sea. God gave them safe passage into the promised land at the, Red, or at the Jordan River. God gave the tribes of Israel the land that he promised them. And, and then when they were taken into exile by enemy nations, the Lord didn't abandon them there. He was with them even in Assyria, even in Babylon. And then he moved on the heart of the pagan Persian king Cyrus to pay their way back out of exile, back to the promised land. And so as they sing this song, the memories they're thinking of, when, when their mouths were full of laughter, tongues full of joy, they're thinking of those times when God did these things. And so although this is a song of lament, it also serves as a rally cry. And we have to pair the memory of our pain with the memory of God's past faithfulness because the miracles of our past are measures of the future. What God has done before, He will do again. He's not a God who did great things past tense. He's the God who is doing great things here and now, and that's true for you. This song teaches us to confront the pain of our present reality with the reality of God's past faithfulness. There's a little teaching tool we use quite often around here, I like to remind you of this simple little thing from time to time. Uh, if this hand represents our pain, 
And this hand represents God. How we normally view things, how we often view things, is we will view God through the lens of our pain. Because I'm going through this thing, God must be absent, indifferent, uncaring, unkind, weak, non-existent. But Psalm 126 it doesn't deny the reality of our pain, but rather it calls us to view it in a different order, that we view our hurt, our sin, our shame through the lens of a God who is faithful and a miracle worker and a life giver and a forgiver and the God of all good things, a God great in compassion and mercy. Maybe that's what you need to do today. Psalm 126 calls you to this, to look at the faithfulness of God as the lens through which we view our hurt, and this is where our restoration begins. God is faithful when we are hurting. God is faithful when we are unfaithful. He does not let us down. This song speaks to us of another way in which God is active in our restoration. Not only is he faithful when we're hurting, but second, God hears our painful prayers. Verse 4 is the prayer, and, and I want to deal just with the, the first part of verse 4. We could, we could treat verse 4 as a unit on its own, but I'm just interested in this part with the petition the prayer of verse 4, and it's a short and powerful prayer, restore our fortunes, Lord. That's the prayer. This little prayer splits the psalm in two. Prior to this line, the psalm looks back. After this line, the psalm looks to the future. And this prayer is rooted in the anguish of the now. In this very small prayer, this simple line has much to teach us about approaching God. First of all, it's a prayer to the Lord. Don't skip over this detail. This prayer is to the Lord to the exclusion of every other possible or imaginary source of rescue and restoration. Restoration comes from one source and one source alone. This is not a prayer to the universe or to nature or to our ancestors. This is a prayer to the Lord. Yahweh is alone the restorer of our fortunes. This short prayer is also a prayer that relies on the grace of God. The situation that this prayer recalls is a situation this person has been in before. They've remembered a previous restoration. Now they find themselves again back in the same spot in need of it again. And when they come to God in prayer, they don't come with a laundry list of reasons He should be good to them. Well, here's lessons I learned from the last time, and here's the good things I did and the good things I meant to do, and here's the bad things I avoided, and have, have you met my brother-in-law? That guy's really rotten. I'm not nearly as bad as he is, and so, God, here's why you should restore me. That's not at all what this prayer is. This person throws themselves totally on the mercy of God. They don't make a deal with him. God, if you do this for me, I'll do this for you, as if God needs that from me. The person just says, restore me. I've got nothing to give but brokenness, but sin, but shame. God, I'm throwing myself on your grace. God, restore me. This is also a prayer for community. 
This prayer is prayed by the believing community for the sake of the believing community. What we'll want to do is we'll want to take Psalm 126 and go hide in our prayer closets and just make it all for ourselves. And, and there's a, a part of that application that's not inappropriate. It's correct to do that. We want this to reflect in our own lives. But we fall short of the intended purpose of this song if we just hoard it for ourselves. This is a song for South Shore Baptist Church. In what sorts of scenarios might we pray this and sing this song together? Well, this is the right song for times of national tragedies or local tragedies. This is the right song to sing after our church has experienced a great loss. It's the right song to sing when we feel like the mission of God has stalled on the South Shore and, and we're longing to once again see fruitfulness from our gospel ministry. This could be the scripture that you read with a friend who is in need of hope and encouragement. You go to sit with them in their hurt, in the hospital, in the grief in their home, and you open the word together, and Psalm 126 is where you might sit with them because this is a prayer for community. It's also a prayer for the most important thing. What's the meaning of the word fortunes? Cars? Is that it? Investments? Material wealth? Is, is, that what, is that what this is? Lord, our plumbing is shot. Restore our property values. Lord, help. Is that? No. Israel's fortunes were not tied up in silver and gold and stock options. Israel's fortunes were tied up in a right relationship with God. It didn't matter if you had all the wealth on the planet. If your relationship with the Lord was broken, you had nothing. So this prayer, Lord, restore our fortunes, is a prayer for the relationship to be restored. Not, not restore our, this relationship so we can have things. That's not at all what it is. Whatever the Lord gives, whatever He provides, He does, and that's perfect. This is about the most important thing about our right relationship with God. That's why I keep using the phrase spiritual restoration. This is about our relationship with God being made whole again. Lastly, this little prayer is a confession. When we say restore our fortunes, we're saying this, God, I'm, I'm broken, I'm sinful, I'm messed up. I can't do this on my own. I confess my need for you. There's so much power in this one little prayer. And friends, we have to pray like this. Maybe this is what you carry home with you today. It's just this one line. You, you don't need a lot of words for your prayer to be effective. You don't need some official written prayer from the church that God really hears this one if you pray it this way. From a place of need and hurt and faith, we pray, Lord, restore our fortunes. He will always hear that prayer. And He is always acting on your behalf to see that prayer come to fruition. He is not content that your relationship is broken. You don't have to convince Him, God, make this important to you because it's important to me. He's already there. You pray this prayer and you will find your heavenly Father ready to receive you home here and now. What's God doing for your restoration? He's faithful when you're hurting. He hears our painful prayers. Finally, God promises joy to come. 
the end of this song is all about joy to come. Verse 4, restore our fortunes, Lord, like water courses in the Negev. Those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. Though one goes along weeping, carrying the bag of seed, he will surely come back with shouts of joy, carrying his sheaves. So there are two word images used here at the end of this song to help us understand what restoration looks like. The first one in verse 4, Lord, restore our fortunes like water courses in the Negev. The Negev is a dry, arid, almost desert region, a wilderness region around Israel. It's dry, brown, dusty, hot, dead. A person who is broken spiritually can be described as being like the Negev. That's our relationship with the Lord in those moments where sin has the upper hand or where our situation has put us in intense grief. In that region, there are dry riverbeds called wadis. And a wadi is created by rain, runoff, by wind and erosion. And those wadis are prone to flash flooding. So when it rains, water just gushes through these riverbeds and they go almost instantly from bone dry to raging torrents. And so in this first image, God's restoration work is like a riverbed that goes from dry and dead to instantly flooded, overflowing its banks. The second word picture is a bit different. It's of someone planting seeds. It's farm language. And this person plants seeds with tears in their eyes, and then later they come back and they harvest with joy. The image is first given in verse 5, then it's repeated more intensely in verse 6, as if the song is trying to convince the singer that there is truly joy to come. The song acknowledges the tears of the present moment, but says, look, you will surely reap a harvest of joy in the days ahead. So what is God's restoration-like work in our lives? It is like flood and a harvest. The flood is sudden. It is a sheer gift from heaven. The, the harvest is slow and arduous, and the person has a crucial part to play in it. The flood is all God. The harvest is me and God working together. So there are times when God restores us like a flood. It's quick and overwhelming. And then there are times when God restores us like a harvest. It takes time and it takes effort on our part and perseverance and endurance. We may cry in one part of the season, but there is a joyful harvest that awaits us. Sometimes that harvest of joy is enjoyed in this life. The song almost speaks to that. It, it, it recalls memories of when things were broken and hurting, but God gave us joy in the here and now. But we also know from our own experience that that's not always true. Not every tear is accounted for. Not every broken thing is made right in our lifetimes. Sometimes we sow in tears for an extended period of time. That doesn't mean restoration doesn't come. That doesn't mean joy is absent. But rather, it means we live today in light of the joy to come. Even though I'm dealing with pain and hurt in this moment, I know how this story ends in the new heaven, in the new earth, where there is no more crying or pain or hurt or sorrow. That's where all of this is headed. That's the joy I'm going to bank on here and now today. 
So ancient Israel sang this song with great confidence. Even in times of corporate turmoil, national hurt and pain, they sang this song with confidence in the joy to come. The, the word joy shows up four different times in this short song. It hits that note over and over to remind the singers of the goodness of God that you and I can bank on that joy in this moment. And although Israel sang this song with great confidence, you should sing it with greater confidence because you know that Jesus Christ died and rose again. He's all over this song. You, you wouldn't expect it in Psalm 126, but I want you to see how a writer named Stan Mast uh, explained the presence of Jesus in Psalm 126. He said this, Jesus, the man of sorrow, spoke of sowing and harvest as he was headed to the cross. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls in the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. So he did fall into the ground, but then he rose from the ground, the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. One day, all of those who have believed in him and in the great thing Yahweh has done through him will also rise from the ground, the abundant harvest of him who sowed in tears. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. Do you see the joy the Lord holds for us? You may sow in tears today, but you will surely come back with a harvest of joy. God promises it. God is at work for your restoration. And what is he doing? This song gives us three ways the Lord is working for us. He's faithful when we're hurt. He hears our painful prayers. He promises joy to come. Desolate circumstances are no challenge to God's ability to restore. Whether it's bringing a kingdom out of ruins or a people from exile or a dead man to life or salvation to a sinner, God brings beauty from ashes. That's what he always does. And so this song is an invitation. It's an invitation to every believer to come to the Lord, to find healing and forgiveness and refreshing again in Him. And maybe you sit there and say, I, I can't do it. I'm just not there. I'm not ready. I can't pray this prayer. That's okay. Your brothers and sisters will pray it for you. We will sing this song together. And together we will invite each other to the Lord because we know the joy He holds for all of us is, is what we need to experience together and we will experience for all eternity. And so if you can't sing it, we'll sing it for you. If you can't pray it, we'll pray it for you because we love you, because we want to pursue your prosperity. And if on our journey to the house of the Lord you fall behind, we're going to pick you up and bring you with us. You're not in this alone. We need what the Lord has for us. And so what does it look like for us to be restored. Jesus told a beautiful story about restoration in Luke chapter 15. It's a story about a man that had two sons. The younger son said, Dad, give me my inheritance. I want to go party. And that's what he did. Went to a far off land with all of his dad's money, wasted it. 
he had a, a moment of clarity as he was eating out of a pig's trough. Covered not just in the filth of the swine, but in the filth of his own sin. He has a moment of clarity. He says, I'll go back home and maybe I can be a slave in my dad's house. That's got to be better than rubbing elbows with pigs. And so he picks up his gross self and he begins the slow march back to his dad. The whole time, I think, practicing a speech. What he's going to say to his dad when he sees him. On this particular day, Jesus tells us the dad is waiting outside the house, looking down the road, not just randomly, but as he did every day, hoping for what he saw in this moment, which was the silhouette of his son coming his direction. And the dad didn't stand there with his arms crossed and wait for the son to show up. The dad took off. His gross old man run, knees cracking and popping, joints hadn't moved like that in a long time. He moved it as quick as he could, spewed gravel all over the front porch of the house as he took off. And he gets to the boy, and the boy's trying to get his speech out. He, he's thinking dad's coming to beat him, to punish him, to shame him more. And, and he begins to sputter these words, this little speech, and the dad is like, stop it. And the boy who's covered in shame is now covered in hugs. And the boy who's carrying such sickness is now covered in his father's kisses. And his dad says, it's time to party. Clean this boy up. Get him some clothes and some jewelry. we got to celebrate because he was lost, but now he's found. He was dead, but now he's alive. He came home. And his father restored him. He lost everything, blown it. He had nothing to give his dad except his filth and his shame. And his dad left him. And in this way, our Heavenly Father loves us. That's what it looks like to be restored. It's to simply come home to your Father. And this is that day for you to do that. You've got nothing to bring but just your need. And your Father has everything to give. Because he loves you, you're precious to him, he's not disappointed in you, he's not let down by you, he knows it all, and still he's a God of compassion and mercy, he loves you, and he calls you home. So brothers and sisters, let us come home, and let the Lord restore us to be those people whose mouths are filled with laughter and our tongues with shouts of joy. Let's pray together. Restore our fortunes, Lord. Like a flood in a dry riverbed, like a harvest that we planted with tears, we're ready for the harvest of joy. And so today, Lord, today, Father, we come home. And we need everything you have for us. You know our need for forgiveness and renewal, and healing, and strength. God, help us to receive all these good things you have for us so that, that we can sing, this is the day that the Lord has made, a, a, a defiant song. Yeah, this is the day you made, and in this day is still present so much hurt, and sorrow, and disappointment, and sin, but still, this is your day. 
Not the enemy's day. This is your day, and, and it's your day in that you are healing us and strengthening us and renewing us. Father, we praise you for this. Lord, would you give my brothers and sisters again laughter and joy at your restorative work in our lives. And God, I pray that you would bring salvation to the friend in here who doesn't know you, but this day would come to Christ and say, I'm ready to come home. I'm ready for a new life. I'm ready to be saved. Lord, bring that today. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So for the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross. And even as we labor on carrying our crosses, we follow him. We look forward to the day when all will be restored, eternity in complete and utter joy. Let's imagine that feast.